This episode of the No Film School podcast was brought to you by Elements, human-centered media storage. Check them out at elements.tv, the new centerpiece of your facility, which is so much more than just storage. Hey everyone, it's George Gentleman, Editor-in-Chief at No Film School. Today we have another interview from a horror-ish project. I guess it's a horror project. In our Horror Week at No Film School. Make sure to check out everything else we're doing at the website if you get a chance. Today's interview is with Michael Watson, cinematographer who's been experienced in camera and electrical departments along his career. Michael shot a pretty significant amount of Lovecraft Country, which has just recently finished its first season. And we stay away from spoilers, so if you haven't seen it, don't worry. But uh, it's a period piece. It's a high-concept horror with tons of special effects. And he has a lot to say about what it's like to shoot all that. And uh, he has an interesting story coming from um, just, you know, he picked up a, a still camera and got interested in in and the whole thing from there. Um, and his career uh, has a, a really interesting track. But one of the things we talk about that I think will be of, of great interest to m- many of you, I, I think, is he has shows he was shooting right up to the point where the pandemic shut things down that he picked up on. And besides for just a lot of insight into what it looks like to be on set right now and what what shooting is, how it's different than it was before. He's also letting us know what things we're going to see differently now that things have shifted, uh, which is to say shows aren't shot the same way anymore, not just in terms of what's happening behind the camera, but how things are put together in front of the camera. And because he's experiencing this currently, he can tell us, hey, this is what uh, this is how we're changing, not just our process, but like what's actually going to be shot. And uh, it also changes the process, of course. But it's really great stuff um, from somebody who's on set shooting shows as we speak. Um, so continue to enjoy Horror Week and uh, listen to Michael Watson. I uh, usually like to start by asking people what sort of got them started in the in this field. Uh, what were the first sort of things that, that inspired you or set you on the path um, and, and how you got closer to being professional? And then we'll kind of go from there. Awesome. You know, so I think the thing that inspired me the most um, growing up, I... Uh, I grew up on an island, and I grew up in the Cayman Islands on the main island, Grand Cayman, and there wasn't a whole lot to do. <laughs> so, you know, I remember it vividly one afternoon, just kind of rummaging around through like my parents' old um, dresser drawers uh, of you know just stuff that they had thrown in a dresser drawer, and I came o- I came across um, a Pentex. Um, you know, still camera, just an old beat up Pentex. And uh, it kind of got me curious. And 
I got my parents to get me some film and I just kind of, you know, went around um, shooting photos. And that's kind of where my passion and uh, inspiration for to become a photographer. And initially, when I finally started to understand what a photographer was, I felt that I wanted to become a fashion photographer. Hmm. I was living in Miami at the time. This is probably early 2000 and or late 90s, early 2000s. Um, I had moved to Miami to continue my education. And Miami around that time was kind of becoming like the mecca in the fashion industry, South Beach and what have you. Sure. Um, Deco Drive and, and all that stuff. So I was really fascinated by the fashion industry. The early photographs you were taking uh, and they were on film, you were developing film or getting it developed. Did you, did anything about it ever feel like this could be a career? Was there something about it or was it just like, this is my hobby, this is fun to do? Exactly. It, I think I was maybe around 13, 14, 15. And I, I didn't really know that you could make a living, you know, doing this. Um, so yeah, it was, for me, it was just a hobby initially. And then when you, so yeah, and then you get to Miami, right? Or that's a little later and you're interested in fashion photography and what sort of trips things towards film or moving images in a different direction? When does that, when did that evolution happen for you? Absolutely. Um, <laughs> purely almost by accident, how I ended up in the film industry um, because I, I, I felt that the easiest way that I could understand to get into fashion photography was to kind of like learn more about the equipment involved. So I kind of found a job in a, in a rental house, a camera rental house. What I didn't know at the time is that it was a motion picture camera rental house. <laughs> so it was a mistake. <laughs> it was a total mistake. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, you should have seen the look on my on my face when the rental manager at the time took me to the back room where all the cameras were kept. And lo and behold, all I saw were these enormous cameras that looked nothing like the little Pentex that I found <laughs> at the age of 15. And I didn't want to come off like I didn't know what the hell any of this stuff was. So I kind of <laughs> kept my mouth shut and, uh, and learned as much as I could about those cameras. Um, and I spent about two years uh, at that rental house. Um, I left the rental house and then kind of pursued a career as a camera assistant and really worked my way up from there. So you, so you saw these crazy bigger cameras that were not for still photography. <laughs> you didn't say anything about it. And then you just learned about them and were like, you know what, this is pretty cool. Like I'll do this. Like you never looked back. Like how did that, or, or were you still like, yeah, I still want to do still photography. Or you were just like, this is cool. I'm into this. No, I mean, you know, the, the, that, that's pretty much exactly right. I, I became very fascinated very quickly with the idea of the moving image and uh, did everything and anything that I could to, you know, get onto a set whenever I could while I was working at the rental house. Um, you know, so I would, you know, meet other camera assistants and, and let them know that, hey, if you needed a, a camera PA or whatever to come out and, and, you know, hang out on set with you guys and run errands, I, I was absolutely able to do that on the weekends. So I was fascinated right away with motion picture. And you were, and this was sort of like, you know, and I'm just looking off of your resume, but so correct me anytime if there's things you're like, no, no, it was actually this way. But like, mm -hmm. these were in the days at the 
very sort of tipping point of like still film is the dominant media, but it's shifting, right? Your first, the first stuff. So at the rental house was there, was it mostly film or was it a mixture of like early video? Um, what was going on there? And, and what were, like you became an AC maybe, it sounds like, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you started that stuff when it was still film, right? That is absolutely correct. When I actually left the rental house and the rental house that I, I worked at, they predominantly uh, specialize in renting airy um, motion picture equipment. And at the time when I left, the camera of choice was the Airy 435. And that was kind of like Airy's reinvention of the Airy 3, yeah. uh, which was for many years uh, the workhorse of the, of the film industry. Um, and then it became the 435. So video camera, digital cameras were definitely not in play uh, in mainstream commercial and motion picture uh, at that time. Right. It had just like what? There had been like two movies, like the Star Wars stuff had just happened. Like it really wasn't like the thing people were turning to yet. So you, your career encapsulated that shift. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, I think the, 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 the real pushing transitioning point was, um, I mean, for myself, how I saw it and how I was envisioning it was the red, you know, the red one camera. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that was like earth shatteringly loud and people, I remember the discussions of, uh, you know, film still being better than digital. And, and, and then over the years, as, as the red cameras got better, as, you know, the Sony cameras got better, those conversations just kind of went away. And I then, know, nobody talks about it anymore. Well, <laughs> now, it used to be all anyone talked about, right? Exactly. And now you have, you know, enormous cinematographers saying that, you know, the idea of shooting on film is just why, you know? Yeah. Um, but so since you were a loader, I mean, right, you were doing yeah. some stuff with film and you learned, you know, do you do you miss it? Do you have any feelings about it? Or like, do you uh, do you ever think like, I really kind of like shooting. I want to shoot something on film one day or, you know. Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, I I absolutely miss the the concept and the the feel and the and, and the look and the aesthetic of film. Don't get me wrong. Um but at the same time, I didn't want to fall into like that camp of like, you know, film is everything and everything else is just, you know, a, not a, not even a sure. Because sure. I, I didn't want to close myself off to this new technology, you know, digital filmmaking. So instead I went the other way and I felt I want to embrace this technology and learn as much about this technology and understand it in a way so that I can take that, that tool and use it and apply it to the best of its ability. Yeah. What were the first uh, in the digital revolution as it started? What were the early projects you were on using it? Or what did you, did you buy a consumer ones or a prosumer and start like testing stuff out yourself? Like where did you, where did it fall in your trajectory? I was very fortunate at the time that I, I was still a camera assistant. Um, I fell into, um, being a camera assistant with Claudio Miranda. And one of the first films that we did, uh, fully digital, was David Fincher's The Curious Case of Benjamin Buttons. Right. Um, and that was really kind of at the cusp of 
of, of, as I like to remember it, the resolution wars, you know, where people were, were moving away from HD and 2K was now the kind of big hot thing. Yeah. Um, and the cameras that were coming out were pushing the envelope, the envelope of latitude and resolution. So it was a really interesting time. Yeah, Fincher was like one of the early adopters, right? Like using it at, at a very high level and showing us all like, hey, it works, man. Like <laughs> That's absolutely right. I mean, you know, the curious case of Benjamin Button got an Oscar nomination. So Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> you know. and then so as a camera op and a and and second unit, like you worked on a lot of like, you know, major major studio projects. When did you what was the first like I'm the DP? job when did it happen what was it that came along was it an offer had you been kind of contemplating how to make that jump you know once you were you were established in the industry at at the top you know part of the field as an operator and assistant and stuff absolutely um the transition where as you as you put it i could say to myself or i was known as the director of photography right for a feature film that i did called skyline uh, with a couple of brothers who became who moved from the world of visual effects into directing and filmmaking um, in, entirely, entirely, and I had built a relationship with them previously on a few music videos that they had directed, um, and it, it's 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 a whole long story, but the short of it is that the Skyline was the first uh, real project that I could say that you know I was known as the DP. I was the DP. That was my first feature film. And, uh, and you were, were in your mind, were you sort of thinking like, this is the, this is what I'm going to do now. I'm shifting to this stage. And I mean, it seems like you had, uh, you've done so, so many different projects. Was that always the ambition for you? Was it, it was your ambition to move to being DP or, you know, like what was your, what was your plan or your, your process? That's a great question. And particularly with Skyline, Skyline started out as uh, an independent, a low budget independent film. And we initially shot some, some tests and a trailer for the concept of the film. And the producers behind it kind of shopped it around and it got traction. And then all of a sudden we got financing and then it became a studio movie. <laughs> so, oh, cool. So did it, did it flip, so to speak? Or was it like union-wise, or was it just like it just went from something small in scale to large in scale? Absolutely. It, very small in scale to very large in scale. And, uh, and then things became very real and started to move very fast at that point. So I didn't really have a lot of time to think about the transition. It, it, <laughs> it was just kind of like when you started working at the rental house and you were like, wait, I guess it's, I guess it's moving films now. <laughs> I guess this is what I'm doing now. <laughs> yeah, it happened really fast. So, yeah. That's cool. Um, and you never looked back, right? Because you were like, okay, this is the next thing. I mean, do you ever shoot stills? I'm, I'm kind of curious because going back to that being the, the, the original thing, like, or fashion photography, does it ever draw? Do you, are you drawn to it in some way or are you just too busy? <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm drawn to fashion photography for inspiration now more so than actual, um, the, the, the uh, industry of fashion photography. I kind of look to it for inspiration of, within my own work. Yeah, but, uh, I do still shoot a large amount of still photography. I use my still photography now for my cinematography because I often build lookbooks that way. So sometimes huh. I'll find images that inspire me within 
uh, for a scene that I may be uh, approaching. Um, and then I might also add to that lookbook some of my own photography um, for inspiration and in directions of color and light that I want to go with that scene. Yeah, I want to hear more about that. So that sounds like part of your creative process. Is that ever part of the process um, on getting a job? Or is it just part of your process as a, um, you know, this is once I'm secured, I'm starting to, you know, I got, I'm going to shoot Lovecraft Country, for example, I'm going to start building my lookbook. And like, what is that? How do you do it? Like, what do you go to to begin? I want to say almost all of the above. From the moment you are known as a cinematographer, and once you start to move in certain environments within the world of filmmaking and cinematography, some more than more often than not, uh, a director that you may have a meeting with over some material that you know would have been sent to you in advance would love it if you sat down at the meeting with a lookbook. So I can't hurt. <laughs> exactly. You know, and honestly, I look at it sometimes I, I, it, it can almost be a double-edged sword because you can end up in a position where your ideas are very strong and um, striking and they may absolutely love them. But for whatever reason, you may not land, land the gig. So, you know, you, and then you see the, the finished work down, you know, a year or two down the road. And it's like, wait a minute, are those my ideas? You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's funny. I wish I could ask you about examples, but I don't want to, I don't want you to put anything, anyone on the spot or put you. Exactly. On the spot. Exactly. And of course, the other side of that is uh, your, your imagery that, that you feel you would like to take the, the material in that direction could be very different from the direction that the director wants wants to go. So sure. you know, there's also that possibility, and that sometimes can uh, can be if if the relationship between you and the director seems to be moving in a, in a good direction, just because you 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 may not be absolutely on the same foot with him from day one doesn't mean you can't be at the same place with him visually moving down the road. Um, especially if, you know, if he likes your work and, uh, you know, and, and, the, and the general look of your cinematography seems to feel like where he wants to take the material. You both can get there. Right. And so like you're, you're saying, and it sounds like in part that being bold can sometimes work against you in those cases, but it's, it's worth the risk. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Like, yeah. Um, this is, you know, I'm, I'm kind of curious, like you did, uh, it seems like you've been really busy lately. It seems like it all kind of exploded in terms of these, these shows, um, Black Lightning, Claws and Lovecraft Country. There's, has there been some like overlap of all of these seasons and shooting and stuff? How has it been like jumping from one to the other or back into one after doing another? And, and, and how is, how's that gone? How's that like you've become somewhat prolific in shooting these, these shows? Yeah, you know, <laughs> thank you. It, I, I, I would say each show has has its own temperament and pace. So you know, when you're when I'm moving from one show to the next, in particularly with not much time in between shows, there there definitely is either a moment where I'm getting the feel for how the show has been going or how the, the show runners and, and, and directors want to go. For myself, though, I find that a lot of how, how a show is going to move is 
based on the directors that I end up being paired with and how prepared they are uh, to take their episode, you know? So, so I, I guess, honestly, it's not so different moving from one show to the next. I think that what, 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 what becomes different is the size of one show versus the, 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 the one that you might have been leaving or going to. That can be different. And- yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm curious to talk about uh, Lovecraft Country because it's a, I assume, it's a huge show. It's period. It's got a lot of visual effects. It has some big names. It's mm-hmm. HBO Max. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a major production company. So what, what's the scale like and the pressure? And also, like, yeah, period, a lot of effects – has it been a big jump into that? And what's, what's it been like shooting it? It's been amazing shooting it. Um, and I think the, the, the biggest, the biggest and most consistent change has been the uh, amount of preparation. You know, HBO was very uh, aware of how big in scope this material was going to be. And they really were behind putting a lot of time into preparing Uh, And having everybody um, who had input into the visuals of this show, giving them the time it took for for all of us to basically be on the same page and in the same place mentally, um, which is very, very valuable. Yeah, because you mentioned a lot, you know, getting getting synced up with the director. But on a show like this, you know, you've got multiple directors, showrunner and the other DPs and visual effects. Right. So. Yeah, what is it like to be uh, to for you to all get your visual language in the same arena? <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. Like, how do you no. get all? How do you all get on the same page? Is it just a lot of prep? A lot of prep, <laughs> a lot of meetings, a lot of pre pre visualization, and a lot of concept meetings and tone meetings. Um, and with those meetings, it you know over over a period of time, we all kind of pull together, and we all seem to be. Um, in sync and we land in a place where visually we're all on the same page. We're just, you know, and, and, it, and that is amazing. Where did you, where did you take inspirations from? Like when you got started on that one or built your first look book, like where did you start going? Like, cause it's got so much packed into it, you know? You know, I reading, reading the scripts, I found that the, the the first and foremost place that I wanted to dive into was the 1950s. Yeah. So, you know, I referenced a lot of Gordon Parks, a lot of um, Harold Feinstein, Fan Ho, Fred Herzog, stuff like that. Um, and then from there, honestly, certain my certain one of ones of my episodes felt like certain movies that I had seen previously. So I you know, reference things like Raiders of the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, I reference things like Goonies. <laughs> Gordon Parks is a really fascinating inspiration, and I want to circle back to that for a second. But uh, you know, because I don't know that contextually people are aware of him. Um, but but um, that's that's like photojournalism. So he was he was bringing to the world images. He was bringing forward real real world images. Um, and I think that that is like in a total opposite direction of saying like Raiders of the Lost Ark, which I'm sure everybody in our audience is familiar with. But as soon as you're watching the show, you're like, oh, yeah, there's that Indiana Jones vibe for sure. You know, absolutely. And, and that, um, you know, you hit you hit something right on the head there. So one of the things that was very important 
about the the look and the feel of this of this series, you know, because the genre there's there's a few genres in here, right? Like you have pulp, so have much, yeah. Horror, you have sci-fi, and I think the one for myself, the, the the thing that was the most important to keep in mind visually was you. I never wanted any aspect of these episodes to feel campy. Hmm. Yeah. They had, they had to feel real, even within the sci-fi world that we were building, you know, that, and it must have been so hard for you guys to pull that off. Like, well, I'm, I'm sorry. I want to hear more about it. I'm, I'm fascinated by that because the stakes are high, right? Because this, this is, you're, you're telling a story that has like some real, especially nowadays, right? In this moment absolutely. in time, has like a really important impact, which you probably couldn't have even foreseen when you were shooting. Right. No, not uh, and yet you've got all this high concept stuff going on. So you don't want it to feel like Goonies, but yeah, keep, keep telling, tell me more. And that was absolutely the key because the thing for myself that I, that I kept in mind, why it, why it was so important to have a certain feel of reality was because 1950s and we are smack in the middle of John Crow America, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And I didn't want to make light of that at all. I wanted to, whenever possible, also educate and not and entertain, but not make it in a way where it was going to be considered or, or where it felt light. I wanted it to always have a certain level of seriousness to it. Fear. I feel like you can feel some of the fear too, yeah. right? Like it's an intimidating. Uh, the, the imagery is is evokes horror i mean like real life horror you know like the things that were happening and and still happen sadly but like that yeah. that that vibe is is prominent but it's it's impressive that you as a team found a way to walk the balance between um the real life horror and the the pulp right yeah, like, yeah i i mean were there were there moments where you were worried about going too far in one direction or how did you guys check that? I never really worried about going too far. No. Like, were you ever like, oh, you know, this might come up, like the pulp thing, I mean, in terms of like, uh-oh, like we don't want it to, we don't want to make light, like you said, of yeah. the of the um, importance of what we're, what we're depicting. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, I, 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 I guess for myself, I always erred on the side of, of the, of, of the, of the material and the material yeah. and, and, and the writing and the scripts were so incredible that I don't know. It, it kept you honest, and as long as you were being honest to the material as a cinematographer, I don't know. I, I never felt like I, I ever went too far in one direction. Elements Bolt is a groundbreaking storage solution, offering up to 10 times the speed of an SSD-based system. Designed to deliver amazing performance to every department in your facility, from scanning to color grading, editing, VFX, and GFX, Elements Bolt will put an end to stuttering playback, slow copying, or proxy creation for offline editing. This flexible, high-speed storage platform can supercharge any professional post-production environment and even provides native Avid bin locking functionality. Every Elements system is jam-packed with amazing tools and features developed to help with day-to-day post-production tasks. 
The extremely intuitive user interface is designed with creative people in mind and can easily be used with little to no IT knowledge. Ready to boost your performance? Find out more at elements.tv slash bolt. definitely an impressive feat because the show like i said it's the 1950s there's visual effects there's real life history there's pulp there's also a lot of mystery like what is going on here um so it's 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 really something and i when i first started seeing ads i couldn't believe the timing it felt like it was created for this moment in a way um how long ago were you shooting was your was principal principal was last year um and we ended my, actually, my last day on the show was January 21st, 2020. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it was really like uh, <laughs> bizarre, huh? Like the, just oh like God. the world changing since then. So tell me, because you've shot, you've been, you've been back on set. Like, what's it like going back to work um, now that we're in this COVID, post-COVID, middle of COVID era? Yeah, it's, it's a little bit uncomfortable um, very confusing at times. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm very grateful to be back at work and to be out of the house. And I'm very positive about that. But as far as if your audience, you know, wants to look inside of what it's like to be on set now, it is different. And, um, lots of new guidelines that we are all trying to adhere to so that we can all stay safe and, and be able to go home to our families at the end of the night. You know what I mean? Kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a very different world. What's it like? Uh, like what are the precautions like? Like you wake up, you do your, um, they take your temperature when you get to set and, and stuff like that. Gloves, masks, no gloves, just masks. What's the, no, no gloves, just masks, but yeah, pretty much like that. So my, my routine is, uh, you know, I'm up like an hour before call. I take my temperature. I then log into, uh, we're all given a QR code. We, I scan the QR code, which takes me to the website. I then answer, if I'm not mistaken, it's six to seven questions all about, you know, my exposure in the past 24 hours. And once I've answered all the questions and input my temperature, I now have a green light to head to the set. So then <laughs> I head to the, <laughs> I head to the set. They take a look at my, at, at, my green light and it's literally like you have this green digital card on your phone wow. uh, i am then given a wristband for the day that that clears me to be on set and to work that day um beyond that we are tested every third day while shooting um and every monday and friday while in prep um yeah it's is it, is it the nasal swab test the one that goes yeah. up into the brain yeah <laughs> yeah exactly yeah three um, times so it's kind of like what's happening in the sports bubbles like it's the same yeah. on set yeah. Yeah. um yeah. and do you have uh do you everybody on set wears masks except for everyone on camera that is absolutely correct every crew member wears a mask and when you are on set and when there is an actor on set that doesn't have a mask or any, or, you know, protective cover, then you have to not only wear your mask, but you also have to wear a face shield. Oh, wow. um, yeah. And, and in particular, if you are within six feet of the actor who's not wearing protective cover, um, and then uh, once they've left the set, uh, you can 
take off your face shield, but you still have to continue to wear your face mask whenever you are at work. And is it weird to work and shoot like in light with the, the shield and the mask on? What's it like for you? What has it been like for you? The biggest challenge is, is uh, keeping my glasses fog free. Oh, man. <laughs> no, that's terrible. Like, I can see. <laughs> that's been the biggest challenge. But no, it, you know, other than that, um, it's pretty much the same. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, that it hasn't that hasn't really changed so much for me. We really do need to figure something out about the glasses, though. Oh because I, I, yeah, it's like everything, the masks and the glasses just don't fit. Like, how can, oh. can, can there be a mask that doesn't fog glasses or can there be non-fog glasses? Like, what's the next evolution? <laughs> um, yeah, so, and then that's been on claws, right? That you went back? Yeah. Yeah, Is it and, and again, I just I'm so curious because like shifting gears from Lovecraft Country to Claws, like visually is so different. <laughs> like like I mean I know it's been a while, but you're like okay yeah I'm back into this one now and like I'm getting my like getting back into this world and like is there a little bit of a re-entry there, or are you just ready to go? This time around, it's been it was a huge transition because once again I finished shooting. Lovecraft, January 21st, 2020. At that point, the coronavirus was, you know, still being kind of murmured about here. It was, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, it was huge already in China. Yes, yes. But we weren't even really, you know, we were like, oh, look what's happening over there. Yes, um, yes. So along comes coronavirus. We shut down. And by we, I started on Claws January 22nd. Oh, wow. So, okay. Yeah, so yeah. at that point, we were still, things were very normal still. Um, uh, we ended up having to shut down production on March 12th. Wow. How deep were you? How, like, where were you guys? We were halfway into the season. We had, we had shot five of ten episodes. Wow. Yes. So now here we are coming back. Um, we've been in production now for just over four weeks, maybe. Um, and no, I stand corrected. Just over three weeks. Um, and it's very, it, it has been a, a, an extremely interesting transition. We uh, have, due to the limitations that we now have in this new world of COVID and the protocols that we have to work with, have basically ch- taken a, a huge bite out of how much time we now have. So, you know, we light a lot faster. Yeah, it changes the whole way the set runs because of all the extra work, right? I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah. All of it. You know, it's harder to move equipment around the set now. We also try to socially distance, which means fewer people can be on the set. So you're waiting. If something that you need is offset and has to be brought to set, you're waiting longer. So yeah, it's it's a huge transition this time around. What kind of, what size, like, like what's the difference in the size of your camera crew and your G&E team, like compared to what it was? Like how much, how much smaller are you guys? Well, from that perspective, we're not that much smaller. It, it, ironically enough, we actually, in, in the camera department, got bigger. Uh, normally, I shoot this show with two cameras um, consistently, A camera, B camera, and every now and then a third camera for particular reasons. But since we've been back in the COVID world, and now that we are literally racing against the clock, got and it. not the clock of finishing the show, but the clock of, you know, if somebody like a, an actor or an actress should test positive, that shuts your show down. You know, if a director should test positive, that shuts your show down. So we're racing against that clock. 
So now we actually carry three camera crews all the time and three cameras work all the time. So needless to say, um, you know, we've had to make some sacrifices in some areas, but in other areas, we've kind of made additions so that we can get through it faster. Right. And it must change how you light and how you plan completely, right? Because immensely, immensely. And you I, still have to match what you were doing. <laughs> exactly. Wow. Exactly. It must be like putting together a weird puzzle. Like <laughs> it um, is a challenge. What uh, What do you shoot on on claws? We're shooting on Airy uh, minis. Um, we were an HD show up until COVID, and and now we are shooting uh, at 2K. And that transition, uh, the decision to up the resolution was because of uh, a lot more visual effects may play into episodes based on what our limitations were on set. You know, like you're going to notice when you start watching shows that were filmed during COVID uh, that there's not a lot of background extras. (laughs) And when there Uh, are background extras, they may be visual effects background extras. So, you know, so there's more resolution just gave you more room to crop and play and add things. Exactly. And- exactly. Zoom in. Yeah. All, all of that. So when they first came to you and they're like, okay, we're going to start back up. We're going to shoot a different format <laughs> and we're going to have to shoot with more cameras. We're just like, oh my God, I, I have to think about everything differently. Like you and the directors, like what was yeah, that? It, 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 was a, it, was, it was a pretty big change. Um, in, per- in particular, the third camera, because yes, that... It, it, the third camera position at, at times is absolutely necessary, but more often than not, you're making a compromise. You're making a sacrifice um, because, yeah, you know, there, there really only is one perfect angle to light from. Mm. Um, and each camera is seeing a different angle and you can't light three angles equally um, and aesthetically pleasing. Yeah. So, and I know, know Claude like, is such a visual, like it's so striking. Like the the colors and the look, like, and yeah. I'm sure if you guys go back to Lovecraft, like that in terms of lighting it for three cameras would be insane. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Um, what do you do? Like, how do you approach it? Like, how do you how do you compromise on those other two cameras? It just mm. depends. That's a good question. Uh, the way I the way I honestly approach it is, I still only light for one camera. Yeah, and I try to find the the most aesthetically pleasing other two angles <laughs> with the other yeah. two cameras. Oh, I see. So you start with, like, you build it from that first angle. And then exactly. you're like, what else can I do that'll help, but that is still, like, visually good enough? <laughs> yeah, that and yeah. a, lot of, a lot of foreground. <laughs> you know, like, uh-huh. I, uh, it's always nice to break up an image sometimes. And, and, I, and I enjoy throwing in, you know, a certain level of foreground elements and, um, finding some magic that way. I'm so fascinated by how much it changes the workflow. And I'm sure a lot of our audience is as well, because like, we're going to see, we don't know yet. Like you said, we're all going to see it suddenly. We're going to start seeing stuff that's, that's a little different because of how things were shot, like different kinds of extras, not real extras, (laughs) not real background. That's, that's, um, that's crazy. What, um, what did you shoot Lovecraft on? Uh, we shot that on Sony Venice at 6K. Wow. wow. Okay. So much different. Yeah. Yeah. When you're like shifting between, how do you, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of different choices, obviously. And then like lens choices, like 
how do you determine what what's going to be your 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 lens package or whatever when you're on like love it's like oh sony 6k so i want the xyz or i want the you know like how do you go about that for lovecraft we did a lot of camera tests and uh in the end we decided that we kind of wanted to to go with uh, almost a, a hybrid look where we had we shot spherical lenses but we wanted to take advantage of the large format of the Sony Venice. Um, and we shot on uh, Zeiss Supremes, which, you know, those lenses comp- combined with the Sony Venice, it gave you this anamorphic feel, you know, with very shallow depth of field and this beautiful bouquet. Um, but yet all the advantage of spherical lenses, you know, lighter, smaller, faster. Um, and in the end, it, it, it just made sense and, and, it, and it fit the cinematic kind of style and look of the show that we were going for. Yeah. It feels big and cinematic kind of like you were yeah. saying, like that Raiders of the Lost Ark feel. Yeah. Um, and that's uh, what do you, what do you guys, what's your lens choices on claws, for example? Like how does it differ? The main difference is that on claws we're shooting um, HD or well now 2k, but previously yeah. HD. And we're shooting Panavision Primo lenses on claws. Yeah. And the Primos tend to have a, a little more of a uh, a cooler look to them, more of a modern look and feel. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and especially with HD. So it, it, it definitely works for claws. Yeah. yeah. On that show. Yeah. I've heard a lot of DPs talk about how the pairing of the lens with the sensor is the new film stock. Like the combination of how you pick the lens to the right camera sensor then dictates like what that what that feeling is going to be that texture whereas in before people would have picked you know oh we're shooting on kodak you know this one <laughs> and yeah. then that's what you'd test but now you test like it's going to be the primos on you know the airy and then yeah. that's what you got yeah. that's pretty cool though that, that yeah, yeah. some of the tests that we ended up doing in in pre-production with this camera and and the lens combination that we decided on um and the, was to uh, get a, a real um, interesting and true rendition of, of skin tones and the color spaces that we wanted to be in. Uh, this this camera and these lenses just man, it it made the 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 cast skin tones just sing. You know, it was it was an amazing combination. Are you talking about in in Lovecraft? Yeah, 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 yeah. I was gonna say it sounds like that's yes. I think it does. Like just from what I've seen, I would I would totally agree. And what's funny about that is that people always talk about Airy for being the best for skin, but you guys shot on the Sony for Lovecraft, and it looks great. Like the the yeah. color reproduction is amazing. So yeah, so yeah, just you know, the conventional wisdom is not always the case. You know, it yeah. depends on the yeah. combinations. Um, thanks so much for giving us all the time. I just have a couple more things I wanted to ask you about. What um. What would you sort of advise people like you kind of it feels like your story is you kind of felt you backed into the spot and then you followed it and it flowed you to where you are in a way. It was like this, you know, it was going to be photography turned into moving image and, and, you know, the rental house. And what would you advise a young person who is looking to get started in in the film industry of a lot of people who listen, who are, you know, trying to look for the next move as cinematographers, as directors, filmmakers in general, what what would you advise someone who's starting now to do? A rental house is a great place to start, of course, but like, you know. 
You know, that's a, that's a great question. I think the advice that I, I would give a, a, an individual who wanted to start in the film industry is you've, you've got to ha have a very clear direction and that you absolutely want to be in the film industry. Um, and I find that a lot of times starting, if you, if you can have the opportunity, if you live in a production city where you have access to production is starting as a PA is such a great way to get a, a, a glimpse into the different areas of production. Um, now, if you, if you are absolutely, I want to be in camera and camera is all I want to do. My advice for that is start shooting still photography whenever you can. You know, look through a viewfinder whenever you can. Um, and just, because that was one of the things that I was always doing. I was always looking through the viewfinder and shooting lots of stills whenever I could growing up, um, you know, with my little camera. Yeah. And it, it, it definitely helps you to develop an eye. Yeah. Um, you know, and see light. It's, yeah. it's so valuable to be able to see light that, through the camera. Yeah, and to be able to learn about what it's going to look like later. So you have that sense carried with you of like, I know when I shoot this way, it'll come out that way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you have any like, uh, you know, these are my touchstone inspiration, like the things I've seen or the things I love and think about that influence me kind of on a regular basis look-wise? Hmm. <laughs> That's a good question. I mean, I, I, I tend to draw my inspiration all over the place. To be honest yeah. I mean, it's, I'm that's, I ask partly because when you were talking about what was inspiring you on Lovecraft, I was like, Oh wow, that's, that's so cool. I wouldn't have expected that, but it makes total sense seeing it. So I'm curious, like, is it project to project or like, so what on clause, what were the things that kind of, that you baked into your approach? Oh, for, you know, well, for claw, for claws, I, I kind of embrace their kind of gaudy behavior. Yeah. And try, to, and try, and try to bring that out in the lighting, you know, yeah. and in the framing, and uh, and 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 how we approach, you know, the scenes that we shoot. I, I I try to bring out a lot of the characters' personality in a lot of that. Yeah, it's a big, it's got a big look. It's such a different mm -hmm. vibe, but yeah. Well, that's great. Thanks so much for taking the time today, Michael. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everybody. Hope you're enjoying our horror week of content here at No Film School on the podcast and also on our website. Go over to nofilmschool.com to see more of our horror coverage for the week. Considering that it's Halloween coming up, that's the reason in case uh, you didn't understand that that's why we were doing a horror week. It's because it's, it's Halloween this week. We've got a lot of cool stuff up. Make sure to like, rate, subscribe, follow us on Twitter, like our Facebook page. We post memes. Everybody loves memes. So be sure to check that out. Um, even if you don't love memes, we also post like stories and, and useful things. Email us any questions at editor at nofilmschool.com, ask at nofilmschool.com. We love hearing from you, whether it's really negative or really positive. I genuinely enjoy both, uh, and I mean that. 
um, I've had some really good exchanges with people who are very angry about some of the things we said on this podcast. And that's a good thing. That's the whole point of the community and, and you know, check us and, and uh, argue with us and whatever. So thanks again for listening and we hope you enjoyed it. Mm-hmm.